0: Louis Spitz, I'm here. Thanks so much for joining us. No worries. What are you over here for? I'm doing the Perth Fringe. So I'm performing every night, doing my show. It's the first time I've performed since March. I'm coming back from a bunch of like big jaw surgeries. So I'm very excited to get into it and debut my new skull.
1: <laughs> so what was the, what was the, the reason for the jaw surgery? So I
0: had two. I had because uh, I had really horrific sleep apnea that uh, was was gonna kill me if I didn't treat it. Uh, my jaw was too far back and your tongues attached to your jaw. So my jaw would cover my airway when I was asleep. I would choke. I stopped breathing like 57 times an hour uh, on a good night, uh, sometimes for a couple seconds, sometimes over a minute, just suffocating. So first surgery. They widened my upper palate. My teeth used to overlap. The front teeth used to be really narrow. I couldn't touch the roof of my mouth with my thumb. So the surgeon cut it and then I uh, had to manually twist a thing with an Allen key in my mouth to slowly open the gap uh, wide enough. You can see it on my Instagram. At, at full expansion before the braces closed the gap, I could literally fit my thumb in between my front teeth. Wow. that's crazy. Yeah, and that was all. So you you started that in March. I started that the first surgery. Oh man, that would have been more than eighteen months ago. That one, uh, because the the surgeon can only make the the first incision, and the rest of the expansion happens over six months. Me doing it myself, and then the braces slowly close it. And that was just to make the second surgery possible. So that one didn't make me feel any better at all. So I'm going through all of this lisping. I've got all this metal in my mouth, the worst gap tooth you've ever seen in your life. You know, like I, I look like a, a regular Perth resident for a while. <laughs> I I, look, I honestly look like I was supposed to have three front teeth and I lost one rather than you've never seen a gap tooth that big. It's the most horrific. Like I, I got the London look for real. Um, uh, but after that, then uh, about uh, four, five months ago, I got the second surgery where they, they cut my, the lower jaw and they pulled that forward and the tip of my chin off, they pulled that forward. And then the the horseshoe of teeth, like your t- upper teeth, they cut all underneath my nose and then pulled it forward like a chatterbox and shortened my head. So I look, I look really different to how I used to look, uh, but I can breathe. And I'm not going to die at 50 anymore. Man, like, I inquired
1: about doing that. I went to like an really? orthodontic surgeon because I've got an overbite as well. Yeah. And um, yeah, so I went in and, and spoke to him about it and they yeah. were like, the process is crazy. But it was purely, they were just like, it's not, it would purely be a cosmetic thing. So I had like a, a great jaw. Yeah. And I was like... Maybe I'll do it. I was like, a oh, year. <laughs> but it, A, it was expansive as hell. Yeah, Yours was probably covered on some form of insurance because of the sleep apnea? Uh,
0: no. Well, some of it was covered, but, uh, you know, fully covered. With, have you ever had to use private health insurance for a surgery? Yeah. I didn't understand. I thought fully covered meant it was fully covered. Yeah. It's not. Fully covered means they'll pay for up to 50% of what Medicare says it's worth through the general health system so it was about three times that price uh, which I think is great because if someone's going to cut my head open and rearrange my skull I don't want the surgeon to make three grand. Yeah, <laughs> you know, I want him to get the fucking bag. I don't want him to be doing six in a day yeah. just to get make the same amount as my surgeon. I want, you know, I walked in and the and the surgeon had a Rolex. I'm like, that's my man. <laughs> you know, let's let's buy you another watch. I need a new head. Um, but yeah, I've I, a lot of people talked about that uh, because it is a cosmetic surgery. Also, like, I was real worried about side effects. And the surgeon, I'm like, well, what side effects are there? And he goes, look, it looks a lot scarier than it is. There's not many possible side effects other than an infection. But one really common side effect is like a significant cosmetic improvement. I'm like, oh, he called me ugly. <laughs> <laughs> or just that now you're beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, I'm really I'm really happy with it now. But But I would feel like if I got halfway through even just the first surgery and it was just for cosmetic, I would feel so stupid Mm. like the amount of regret i would have if it was just to look better like i like how i look now but man it's so not worth it if it's just cosmetic like the the way that i feel now is it's changed my life i was very 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 sick uh, and uh, it's, yeah, completely changed, like, how I look, how I feel. It's amazing.
2: That's brilliant, man. You're yeah. doing, like, a year of inadvertent free dive training, though. I mean, if you've got a minute breath hold, that's pretty <laughs> impressive. That's true.
0: That's really good. Yeah, I was just suffocating in my sleep. One time I pissed myself. I could use that, you know. 100%. My brain turned off, and I released my bowels in bed <laughs> at fucking 28. It's embarrassing. These are all
1: solid sort of bits for comedy, though. At least you're like, as yeah. you're going through hell, you're
0: like, write that down. <laughs> you know what? It's made me realise that that uh, my girlfriend is just the best investor of all time. You know, we got together before I even had money, and when I had a deformed head, <laughs> she's and, playing the long game. <laughs> yeah, now now I'm able to to buy a new head. She's laughing. <laughs>
1: Did you ask your parents why that happened? Was there some forceps issues on the way? Yeah, I think That's there might be plan.
0: something wrong with my mum's pussy. <laughs> <laughs> I
2: think I got compressed on the way out. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm not going anywhere near that, my huh, Louis. <laughs> and you better not. <laughs> That's my mother. <laughs> How dare you. What does your process look like when you're writing jokes? Is it something that, because um, I, I mean, it differs through everyone that we've spoken to. It, it, it certainly differs in terms of your approach. Do you yeah. have a, do you have a method, um, or is it, is it more ad hoc?
0: So uh, I kind of have two things that I do. So the f- the first one has been since I started uh, even thinking that I wanted to be a comedian before I even got on stage. Anytime I just think of something funny or even something that's not funny, but I just notice that, oh, women do this, you know, and I'll just write that down and it's like a sentence and then I'll take that, you know, observation about people or a thing that I did that I didn't like or that I did like and thought or a funny observation that I've uh, noticed. It'll be like a sentence and then I'll kind of come when I have about an hour or so or more to write, I'll just take that note that's in my phone and I'll try and expand it. Uh, with a pen and paper into a couple paragraphs of an actual joke. Uh, and so I've been doing that since I, before I even started stand-up, but more recently, like in the last 18 months, I've just got into this habit. Uh, I read this book called The Artist's Way by Julia Cameron, changed my life. Now I do something called, in addition to that, I I do something called morning pages where every morning I wake up and I write three pages and it's not always jokes It's just the point is I have to write for three pages. Often it's a journal, what I did today, sometimes it's I have no idea what to write, I don't know why, this is bullshit, I can't think of anything, complaining about doing it, the point is you do three pages and often you get about one and a half pages through it and then I just start writing a joke or something funny or a video or something to talk about on a podcast. Um, and that's been awesome for, for me because it just gets you into that habit of just writing it down uh, and getting into the habit of always writing. So that's uh, kind of my process. Mm. Uh, and sometimes those like notes in my phone that I've then expanded a little bit because I write three pages every morning. If I'm trying to work out a particularly difficult joke... I can spend every morning, you know, an hour on it just like writing it or rewriting it or completely changing it or editing it. And that's been awesome for me. Uh so that's kind of my my process. And then obviously you get up and you actually try it. Cuz like when you're when you're a comedian, doesn't matter how good you are, how many how long you've been doing it, you're always guessing whether you it's like I think this is funny. I've written it down. It's making me laugh, but I don't actually know how funny it is or if it's even funny at all until I do it in front of a few different audiences. And then you get a gauge of like, is it it perfect? Did you nail it? And you never nail it when you write it. (laughs) There's always weak spots. There's always bits to explore. There's always bits that hit really hard that you didn't think were that funny at all. Mm. Uh, And then sometimes you know you're performing a new bit and you just go off on a tangent that you didn't write down and then you know, you kind of keep collating that feedback from the audience, and it's always a guess. It's not like music. You know, if you're learning how to play piano, you try and play the song you're trying to learn, and you can hear, "Oh, that does not sound how I want it to," and you can learn without anyone else hearing you. You know that you can get really good and you can perfect that song by yourself. Comedy, you can yell at a at a wall, and you can deliver it really well, and you can think it it'd be making you laugh, but. You don't know if it's making a crowd laugh until <laughs> mm. you actually do it.
1: It seems like it's it's it can be like differ so much per crowd as well. Yeah, per type of crowd. Like we yeah. went, um, I went with a friend and watched Andrew Schultz mm. at um in Perth recently. He's so good. He's a
0: good friend of mine. He's oh really? He's, yeah,
1: man, he's brilliant at yeah. stand up. He's funny. The funny thing is though, like I loved his stand up special, um, the infamous. Yeah, and then. I noticed that, like, he's got that very much, like, anyone can get it style yeah. where he goes through and he kind of burns everyone and everyone's yes. laughing at themselves yeah. and it makes everyone else comfortable in the crowd. Yeah. But when it came to doing that show in Perth, it was almost an exclusively white crowd.
0: Right. So, he yeah.
1: came, he starts out with, like, going at Asians. Yes. And then it was, like, everyone got a little bit uncomfortable because yeah. there wasn't that many Asian people there to laugh at themselves. mm so, it just kind of, the, the tension in the room was weird. Yeah. And then he hit a point where he was trying to talk about, um, he goes, is there any Jewish people? Yeah. Crickets. Oh, wow. And it's wow. like, oh, shit, there's, how yeah, this always, Jewish material going to go? It
0: always is like, if they're not in the room, it feels like a rally. Yeah. no, 100%. <laughs> you
1: know? And it, don't get me wrong, the set was fantastic, but I think just on like a micro level, I was kind of like... Oh shit! That's why that doesn't work here because the crowds in the states
0: are just so much more. Yeah, I performed in New York and I noticed that immediately that uh, because I do a little bit of of race stuff and uh, but still because our crowds are not as diverse. uh, Yeah, like I wouldn't do do jokes about uh, like. or i have like a couple jokes about sudanese people because we have them in melbourne and they're there and they can be in the crowd and laugh but there's a bunch of ethnicities that i don't know well enough personally to be able to, to joke about really joke about yeah. because you don't interact with them very much you know yeah. you've got indian people asian people islanders and then in melbourne you have a lot of sudanese people mm. and then uh like different types of arabic people but uh yeah there's there's often not enough of those uh like ethnicities in the ethnicities in in crowds to kind of make fun of them where everyone feels comfortable whereas when i was in new york It was like the most diverse crowd I've ever performed to. Uh, And they weren't my fans. It was just a club. And every, like, white guys were going up there and going, oh, black people do this. And black people in the crowd going, we do that. Yeah, yeah. And And then the other
1: ethnicities are almost like, do us. Do us next. You know what I mean? Like, I
0: think it's like in, in Australia, I feel like the, and I only really noticed the difference when I was over there. Like, I think it's also because in America, or at least in New York where I was, Everyone there, no matter what ethnicity you are, you have or you, or you work with or you know intimately a, a black person. You know, so you know that they're just like you, and they're cool to be made fun of because they give you shit and you give them shit. Whereas, like in Australia, uh, it's it's a little bit more more segmented, uh, where where like not everybody has a a black friend, not everyone has. An Indian friend, uh, and I feel like that just yeah makes makes people when when you do the race stuff, sometimes people pull back and go fuck. I actually don't know if I am allowed mm. to laugh about this. Or you're going, oh, Asian people do this, and wh- And a couple of white people are like do they? I've I, I've never spoken to. <laughs> <laughs> I
1: suppose as well with the the cultural things like that. People, especially like young white women, are like you can't say that like it's it's not nice that he's
0: saying that it's yeah like, well that's not like that's, it's, another that's what thing. we're here for yeah that's another thing where where like yeah the people are p- always getting offended on behalf of other people and like schultz's whole thing and, and also my thing is like yeah i, I want to like i want to bring people into the show and make fun of them you know like i've i've posted uh jokes about trans people and i've gotten all i've gotten a you know they've gone mostly positive but i always get like fucking essays written from people going you can't do this you can't do that but then i do my shows and there's fucking trans people there going thank you for treating us like humans man and i'm like no worries miss <laughs> <laughs> uh assumptions <laughs>
2: it must
1: be fun to like because that that style of just like it's it's not aim to piss people off but it's aimed to get a little bit of a rise and kind of take yeah. people in a direction where they're like oh hang on and yeah. then they're i unin- you know because laughter is obviously it's it's completely you don't you don't have a choice if something's funny yes you will laugh yeah and then you see people laugh at things they're not meant to laugh at especially in public and be like like it's and- my, fa- my
0: favorite my favorite reaction from a crowd, even my own crowd. It's, it's always like the 70-30 where like 70% of the crowd is fucking losing it. And then 30% of them are also laughing, but they're like, I don't know <laughs> <laughs> if I'm allowed <laughs> to like, they're just try, they're trying to stop themselves. It's the best. Uh, and I, I think it's really cool. Uh, like I love making fun of different types of people because I learn heaps about cultures and things like that. Like I think it's really cool. Although it doesn't always go down well with the people that you make fun of I got protested the last time I did shows in Melbourne <laughs> I made fun of the Dalai Lama uh, the Buddhist remember when he had he had a if you didn't see it he had a 12 year old kid on his lap in a press conference and he sticks his tongue out and he's like suck my tongue right and everyone in across the world was like hey man, Weird. And that's very weird. Not even the Pope does that. Well, he does, but he doesn't film it. <laughs> you Behind closed doors. He wouldn't do it at a press conference. He has a dungeon for that. Uh, so I, I told a bunch of jokes about it, and uh, the Tibetan Buddhist community in Melbourne protested me 200 people showed up outside my venue chanting, Lewis Spears, not funny. <laughs> it was awesome. Yeah, it was like, so thank good. You. Thanks for the irony. You know what, though? It did psych me out a little bit. You know, I'm, up, I'm upstairs backstage trying to get ready for my show i'm going i'm gonna crush it tonight and then 200 people are going no you're not (laughs) you suck
2: (laughs) trying to tune them out just call the chinese i assume they still have a problem with the tibetans don't they well it was a (laughs)
0: interesting thing like i think the the like this i mean this is what you know i kind of found out by researching this culture and this people to to tell jokes about them not in a hateful or bigoted way but in a Well, I didn't love that he was trying to kiss a little boy. Um, But I think, yeah, the reason why I got protested is because uh, finally that the Tibetan community had a person that they could yell at. Mm. Because they are very oppressed by the Chinese government, like the Tibetan Buddhist community. They're all first, second and third gen refugees from Tibet because China, they're trying to due to the due to uh tibet uh they're trying to do to taiwan what they've already done to tibet yeah um and uh i feel like they've been angry at the ccp for so long but that's like an, an entity they can't yell at them from australia You know, they're not here. Well, they are here, but they're undercover. (laughs) (laughs) So they're finally, they're like, oh, we've got a human that we can yell at. And I was getting accusations of all this stuff. Like I'm getting, oh, you're getting paid by the Chinese government. I wish.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to fucking protest it. So you afforded the facial surgery.
0: Yeah, I know. You know what though? The protest made me feel racist because for the next few shows, I was getting so many death threats that every time an Asian person came into my room, I was like, "Fan or, <laughs> or killer?" You know, I'm checking the I'm checking the ticket names for any Tibetan names. That was easy though, because like Muslims call their kids uh, Muhammad, Tibetan Buddhists call their kid Tenzin, because the Dalai Lama's name is Tenzin, Mm -hmm. so they're all called Tenzin. So anytime a guy called Tenzin bought tickets, I was like, cancel, you're not coming in. (laughs) Not today, buddy. (laughs) I did have one name, this uh, one solo ticket, a guy called Peng Shui showed up, or or bought a ticket, and I looked at the name, I was like, that's surely not my demo, but I didn't want to racially profile the guy i don't want i don't want to be a racist guy so i just kind of gave the heads up uh to my to my crew i was like if just if one lone tibetan looking guy shows up just don't kick him out just don't let him sit in the front row <laughs> <laughs> just just being cautious because there were undercover police at my show i was like, let's just be careful mm. anyway uh, the show comes around and we're keeping an eye on the entrances and up walks the most Chinese-looking motherfucker we've ever seen in our lives. And I was like, oh, he's not a Tibetan. He hates Tibetans. Like, he's here. Like, he's <laughs> he my he's on the CCP. He saw me piss off a bunch of Tibetans and was like, that's my guy. I'm like, I'm not your guy, dude. You've got some racist beef going on.
2: <laughs> I'm not going to be privy to you. Yeah, <laughs> so,
0: you know what you should
1: have done? He's like, um, you should have really doubled down on it. If the Tibetans were
0: against you and when you got the jaw surgery, you
1: should have just got Chinese eye surgery as well.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I could have done that. You know what, though? People, are, you know, the whole racist thing is like, oh, all Asian people look the same. They don't. All right. I know for a fact that it's actually us. We all look the same to them because I actually got to the protest a little bit late, right, because they showed up at around five. My show wasn't until 830. I was planning to get there at four right? So I could get in there early. So I didn't cause a, any violence or anything, right? I'm trying to be careful. We were late. We got there at about six and we got stuck at the lights <laughs> right next to the protest. And I'm telling my guy driving the car, like, fucking run the red. I'll pay the fine, run the red. <laughs> cause I'm thinking we either run the red or they're going to smash the windows. They come right up to the car with all these signs that say, Lewis Spears, apologize, don't disrespect the dalai lama all these signs all about me and they look in the window and i'm like fuck and my guys like i can't go i can't go it's dangerous so i'm like all right and i just wave and then they wave back at me and i realize that they they have no fucking clue who i am <laughs> i'm like oh my god we look the same either that or they had no idea who they were protesting i think it was like a church actually that that cuz not all buddhists believe that the Dalai Lama is their guy mm. cuz the the Dalai Lama if you don't know he is god like they really they're really, this type of buddhist believes that he's like the 14th reincarnation of the original Dalai Lama who was born hundreds of years ago so i think that this kid that he was trying to touch must be the 15th which is why he's trying to get inside him <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> I think it was just like a church activity. Like a few people were really pissed off and they were like, we're going to go and protest this guy. And then a bunch of like women and children
2: showed up and. I'll oh, bring snacks. It was, yeah, it was lovely. <laughs> it's an an on <laughs> That's great. The one thing that Schultz does do kind of coming back to him is that he is very knowledgeable about the cultures that he takes mm. the piss out of. So he's got that to fall yeah. back on. Do you. Do you consciously do a little bit of research so that if it does kind of turn nasty, you have an ability to exit, or what's your strategy if it does? Turn I think a bit you. Weird? I
0: don't. I don't think you can make f- fun of things. I don't think you can write a joke to the to the fullest and funniest extent that you can if you don't understand it. And I think that I think that there is such a thing as a racist joke, and it, and it all comes down to intention because for sure there are jokes that are like just to make people feel like shit mm. you know like that that's like there's bullying in school that makes everyone else laugh but makes the target fucking cry mm. and that's also the point um but i think it all it all i think it all comes down to like appreciation of different cultures or people or or genders or whatever the fuck you're making fun of like i can't tell a joke about cars if i don't understand like the culture of racing Mm. you know if i was to write like if i was to write the joke that i wrote about the Dalai lama i don't know too much about him before i looked into it but all those jokes about him being the 15th reincarnation i i researched that i didn't Mm. know that you have to uh i think to to make fun of something you have to show it the proper respect that it deserves by knowing your shit because uh Otherwise yeah you can you can just come across as really ignorant like mm. it's it's uh, it's almost the especially when you're talking about cultures or genders or races if you tell a few funny jokes that are really good and then you just say something that's like just wrong that group is like ah he uh he doesn't really you know care about us that mm. he's just trying to take shots where he can mm.
2: I think anyway, get a cheap laugh. Mm. You obviously mentioned that you'd you'd done a bunch of performing in um in New York. Comparing, I suppose, the Australian comedy scene to that of New York or, or mm. any of the other international places that you performed. What are the what are the similarities? Do you have to change tack uh, consciously when you are uh, in those different sort of environments? Yeah, are
1: you the, are you the Australian, like yeah, because that's mm. the that's the yeah. thing, right? It's like I mean, being. I don't know how good well Jim Jeffries jokes would work in Australia. You know what I mean? Because it's so, a lot of it, it really does feel like it's part of his shtick. You know, uh, Jim Owen. Mm. I don't know that Jim Owen was famous anywhere else.
0: Well, I, I, I know, like know Jeffries, like I've seen him. He's one of my favorites. I've seen him every time he's come to Australia for the last uh, few years. Uh, and he always crushes it here. But like from my experience... Like, they just love Australians. Like, even just uh, not performing, like ordering food in New York, every single person, yo, you Australian? Yeah. And I'm just like, yeah. And they go, cool. Like, they're just like, what the fuck? They don't meet very many. There's, there's few of us, you know, comparatively mm-hmm. to the rest of the world. Yeah, are a novelty. Yeah, 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 exactly. Like, America's immigrants are like Mexicans and a lot of Europeans and a lot of Italians. So when they get... Uh, an Australian it's like wow what the fuck exotic. this is cool <laughs> yeah you're exotic um so I definitely noticed performing there's just a little bit of oh, no, it's Australian uh and that's like super impressive to them but I think the reverse is true like when an American comedian performs here at a club if no one knows they're performing like they're not performing to their fans the American accent is just like oh, he must be good, mm, you know, exactly, because, because so that's what we're that. used to yeah. hearing mm. when it when it movies, music, comedy, you're used to the American accent that just screams professional. And then I think in America, Australian accent is just like, oh, wow, it's a bit of a superpower, mm. you know. It's like having huge tits <laughs> 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 where it's like, you know, they could say the most uninteresting thing, but I'm still going to be a little bit interested <laughs> because of the massive boobs. So, I, I think that uh, the biggest difference, honestly, that I did notice, uh, and I was I did New York and L.A. That's all I've done outside Australia. I've done New Zealand, but that doesn't count. Um, the biggest difference was in New York, especially, every comedian that I saw was just the best comedian I'd ever seen in my life. And I hadn't heard of, like, any of them. I saw a few famous people, but it was all of those those people that were, like, they weren't famous. They were just career comics. Like, they're paying their rent. They're doing like quite well for themselves not millionaires just they've got a car and they can buy the, they don't have to buy home brand food mm. they're all so fucking good i think there's a real skill skill ceiling in australia uh just naturally because there's less opportunities to perform in in comedy clubs where the audience is paying to be there to see comedy like in perth we've got the we've got one comedy Club that I know of that that's like built as a comedy club in Melbourne. We have two in New York. I ran around with Andrew Schultz, and in one night he did four clubs, fifteen-minute spots, all paid in one night. And for me in Australia, what's that? About an that's an hour of stage time in front of a paying audience that's not your fans, so you can kind of take a risk and mm. try new stuff because the guy, if you bomb, the guy on it will be on after you who might do well. Uh, for me, that's like maybe a month of mm. stage time in front of a paid audience. So, it's just like, oh, no wonder they're so good. Imagine if you could only go to the gym for an hour like once a month, mm. you know, you're, you're not going to be as strong as the guy that goes every day. There's no,
1: re- it just feels like there's not a, a huge reason why there wouldn't be more in Melbourne at least. You know, I like, think... there's – because people – there's there's the population there to support it. There's stuff popping up here a little bit more. Like, there was a – I started going to a fair – Perk is awesome. Yeah. There, there was, like, a couple of, like, almost pop-up ones. Yeah. Like there was a really thin lane that's um just yeah. down the road that was, like, at some sort of a brewery or something. And there was, like, people yeah. could go up for five minutes. And then, obviously, the Comedy Lounge, which is – Yes, to, to be so good, and I think yeah. they have a second spot in Fremantle. Now, right? in Fremantle, Fremantle. Yeah, yeah. yeah I was just so talking it's the starting guy. to pop up. And <laughs> yeah, to be honest with you, it's someone like I love comedy, and, and I rarely go. Mm. So the last time I went, we went to see Rory. We had Rory on the pod, like yeah. Rory Low, and then we um, it was like New Year's the year before, like mm. n- not just go on the one before. Um,
0: yeah. I think it's like a, I think it's a cultural thing, especially in in New York, um. LA was a little bit different because LA was like, New York was like, yeah, all killers and all stand-up comics and you didn't have to be famous to get on stage. LA, because I kind of went to New York and LA as like a bit of a test. This is pre-COVID thinking I was going to move there next year. Mm, mm, (laughs) Sucked in. Uh, And I was like, all right, these are the two spots. Where would I like to live like as a human outside of stand-up? And LA is a fucking shithole and Mm. it's even worse now, but- L.A. was like, if you're not Kevin Hart, you're not getting on stage. Like, LA's like, why would we give a spot to the best comedian in the world if you haven't done TV or film? It doesn't matter at all. Whereas New York is very much, like, skill. There's still those famous guys, but, like, they have so many clubs that they need real, really good people, and there's a, there's a lot of those comics there. And I think in New York, it's just, like, the audiences were so much more educated in what is expected of them i think i think all the time i perform to to people who love stand up comedy but they never see it mm. like or they they've been watching it online and like i'm their first ever live Thing and a lot of people, when it's their first time seeing stand up, they go in with the the attitude that you go into with a movie cinema or the theater, or that's the only other time they've seen like live performance. So they're like trying not to disrupt the rest of the audience, and like they'll be smiling and and but not laughing. Some of these people, and then they'll come up to me like, "Man, that was so good!" And it's like, "Tell your face, <laughs> make some noise, please." Whereas New York was the so loud. The audiences are so much more boisterous. I think it's a cultural thing as well in America. There are much more outgoing people. Like I felt, yeah, I don't know. I, I felt like crushing in Australia versus crushing in New York was very different. Mm. And it, uh, it felt like, yeah, it just felt like people that I performed to in clubs in New York were there to see comedy and it didn't matter who was on. Whereas often in Australia, it's like, I'm here to see my one favorite and then I'll see them next year and they don't see comedy again for a year. Yeah.
1: I find. We had a weird education with with comedy as well. I think it like I remember going to see like Adam and Will and things like that. Like mm. people that were kind of radio personalities. Yeah. And that was like, oh, they're also comedians. So you go and see that. Whereas it feels like now, especially with like the last ten years of internet, yeah, comedy is like it's really in people's minds. Mm. and It's, it's exploded. Like, yeah. yeah. And then in Perth as well, there is this kind of little bit of a thing where it's like, oh, yeah, we all like it, but there's the, there's a little bit of a gap in going to it. Yeah. That's why it's been good with the podcast. Like, obviously, I think podcasts and like kind of comedy guests are, are synonymous in yes. a way, you know what I mean? Yes. So, naturally, we've been doing this for two years now and we've had like just by- Haphazardly, we've ended up with quite a few comedians on, yeah. And then it's like that educates an audience, and they will, yeah. It maybe gives them a little bit of a, a way to well, go to stan- those shows. stand-up
0: you know? was like pretty much invented in America, you know. Like they've had it for almost a hundred years now, you know, uh, and uh, it's just ingrained in in their culture. And they've got lots of different clubs and stuff. You know, they have comedy clubs that are in New York that are doing like. Four to five shows a night up to like 4 a.m. Mm. And like that's what the appetite and demand for it is. It's, uh, I think also like everyone in New York, they live in a shithole apartment. So it's much more fun to be outside. Yeah, than you don't inside. stay in. Yeah. Right. It's the yeah. same.
1: I lived in LA for a little while and I've spent time in London and mm. it's the same. It's like you actually experience the city, like you go home to yeah. sleep. Whereas here it's like, well, I got a fucking PlayStation and a couch and a cat. And like, yeah. like you know, you stay, you build these creature comforts and then just yes. kind of go, man, the world's fucked up. Like you just yeah. kind of look at your phone and.
0: I think it's also in Australia, I think that, uh, comedy for us our culture is like comedy festival and this is melbourne especially yeah. where like the comedy melbourne comedy festival was such this this huge cultural thing that happened once a year and like whenever i tell people that are not my fans that i'm a comedian they they go oh we we love comedy we go to the comedy festival once a year when it's on i think a lot of people think that the only time you see comedy is during the festival which is why all of the comedians do it because if i do a show in melbourne in September, right, I'll sell tickets, but if I do it in March, April during the festival, I'll sell way more, like three times the amount. And it's really interesting because I advertise it on the same platforms, Mm. but we just have like this culture here in Melbourne especially, and I imagine it's the same in Perth because you have Fringe Festival and the Comedy Festival as well, where it's like Melbourne Comedy Festival happens and people go, oh, the festival's on, who should I see? And then they pick their favourite, whereas... It's not necessarily like, oh, I feel like seeing comedy. Let's go to the lo- one of the 10 local clubs. It's very much a once a year type of thing in mm. Australia, I think. But I think that will, will change and is changing. It's just going to take time.
1: Have you ever needed a fork truck?
2: Personally, yes.
1: <laughs> I have as well, and I've never known where to get one. But fortunately, our new sponsor, Perth Fork Trucks, which is family-owned and supporting local businesses with their forklift needs since the year 2000, since the turn of the millennium.
2: Mate, they've seen it all. If you, like Scott and I, find yourself in a position where you have something to heavy pick up and you can't do it manually, you need a forklift, please contact Jackson Moore at Perth Fork Trucks on www.perthforktrucks.com.au. They will have all of your forking requirements covered. Don't try and pick shit up. You'll just fuck your back and then it's over for you. You
1: could have just hit up Perth Fork Trucks.
2: Work safe. As Glenn Jakovich would say, spot the hazard, assess the risk, make the change, Perth Fork Trucks. <laughs> <laughs> We're good. We're good <laughs> at these ad reads. Was this is fucking quality.
0: <laughs> <laughs> how long have you been doing stand-up for now? I started posting online in 2012, and but I didn't have the nuts to go on stage until 2014.
2: Right, so that's interesting because it was going to be a lead into a, a question around, I suppose, how you... How you generate content for the online platforms versus how you approach stand-up in in person, but you've come from the other way in that you started online and then transitioned on stage. How do those two platforms differ in terms of how you approach it as as a comedian? Well, I I always wanted to be a stand-up. Like I knew I
0: I saw, mum took me to see Leno and Woodley when I was 14. And I was, and I just, something in my brain was like that, I want to do that. And, uh. I you know even when I was 14 I'm I'm going to be a stand up comedian all right <laughs> you know it was it was that type of drive that I really got sucked into I'm still obsessed with it and then I kind of you know Facebook came along and I was just posting to make my friends laugh and I had a had a page and it started getting likes and did that for about a year and then I was like oh this is also comedy I can turn this into what I actually want to do stand up I get an audience and get them to come to the shows. Like I stole everything from rappers. Mm. I was I emulated like rappers that blew up online and got people to show. So that was kind of my thing. Um, but it is, it is different. And, and, uh, ultimately there's a much, much higher quality control with what makes it to stage. And I think what's, what's interesting about the difference between online and stand-up is I think the online stuff, it's like you think of something funny and you put it out like straight away and then that's how it is forever. You know, you don't get another pass at it. Whereas with stand-up, you think something's funny, you try it, you write it down, you perfect it over a couple days and then you test it out and then you find the weak spots and the good spots and then you improve it over the next couple months and then it's done and it's so much funnier than the online stuff most of the time. Um, so I think yeah, online is is very much you can get away with a lot more. I think because if if something's not that funny, it doesn't perform well. No one sees it, or it doesn't even have to be funny. It could be interesting or relatable, or or an, or a, about the news or whatever. So I think that the online thing is very much more of a consistent output treadmill. Type vibe where stand up is like you're mining for for diamonds and you'll and once you find them then you polish them mm. and then you cut them and then you present them nicely and package them and surround them by other little gems that you've mined and polished and then you go look at this, um so yeah I think I think it's they're, they're very I think they're very different I think a lot of people kind of think that because you're funny online, you can do the stage thing. And that's a huge mistake I see a lot of people make. And I think it's becoming more and more common as more people blow up online. Uh, you have this weird, you get in this weird position and I was in this position where you can sell tickets like a veteran stand-up comedian can, but you can't do a show because you haven't done a show ever. Or you've never performed. So you see a lot of people fall into this trap of like, I'm killing it online. I've got a million fans. I've, I've done that over a couple of years. They do a show and it's really different and they go, fuck, I can't just wear a wig and do skits and do a Q&A and a meet and greet. People go, oh, he sucks life. Mm. He's much better online. Yeah,
1: because it's t- totally different art to it, right?
0: Yeah. So when I was like, all right, I have this fan base, I kind of – started doing stand up in secret, just open mics, not to fans, didn't tell anyone, didn't post about it or anything, never advertised the gigs. And I did that for, for like a year. And then I was like, okay, now I'm good enough to kind of tell people about it and start advertising some small shows and kind of worked on it like that. Because yeah, I think, I think people, I mean, you love, even with music, it's like, oh, he can't sing live. You know, he, sing, he sounds good on his album, but he can't sing live. People love saying that. Mm. Oh, he, oh, he sucked live. He wasn't very good. Don't worry about it. But I think, like, it's a the the blessing of stand-up, of having an online audience is people will come to the shows. The The scary part, and I'm completely past it, but in your early years, the scary part is people come and they go, oh, he's going to be at least this funny. And if you come in just under, you suck. Yeah, man. you failed. Yeah, so you ha- and you have to come way over that. Otherwise, it's like, and and you have to. And, and I really, I really do believe that my life stuff's so much better because it's really what I put the effort into and the time into, and that's what I'm really passionate about is just being as funny as I can on stage. Because you know, people they they spend money and they get babysitters for kids and they take time off work sometimes or or they fuck themselves the next day because they really want to see you it's like such a investment not just monetarily but time-wise traveling there parking getting dressed up the stress of organizing four friends to go mm. buying the tickets chasing the money up later <laughs> all that fuck around just to see you for like an hour two hours that's so special and i i never want to like have people go? Oh, I was alright. I always want people to be like, "Fuck, that was sick," mm. and we got to meet
1: him. Cool. Are you worried that your your uh, crowd's going to diminish now that you're better looking? You have got a strong jawline. It could happen. You're like, dude. man, they were fucking. They were fucking with me because I was weird looking. Yeah, I know. And now I'm fucking got this jawline. Hey, or the other thing is, you could just go like get super jacked. And there start doing all of your content shirtless, just yeah. like Matt Reif the whole fucking way.
0: Yeah, I could, I could do that. It's definitely an option. Yeah. He's opened the, the the gateway to like a very handsome comedian. I, I was, I don't think I've become like supermodel famous now. I think I just am. I'm like bit much better looking than than what I was, but I am pretty happy that I'm not like an 11 because I feel like, you know, like if you saw, if if you're at a, at a at a comedy club and the most beautiful woman you've ever seen in your life gets on stage, you're like, why are you here? <laughs> What's wrong with you? It'd be like if you saw a dude that was like bodybuilder size, you're like, that's not what a comedian looks like. This is strange. I feel like it would be like shockingly beautiful. I think takes away from the art form uh, which is why, you know, unfortunately, beautiful people could be the most intelligent, poignant speakers in the world, but they wouldn't be taken seriously. Like, I want to listen to an ugly guy because I trust that he's had to really work on this because he has no other value. <laughs> yeah, it's <laughs> so true.
1: I was, I was at, um, I've been to a couple of comedy shows where there's a girl that was, you know, pretty average and like pretty average looking, not, yeah. not terrible, not great, and uh, she was playing like the hot girl role. Yeah, and it was like. I don't know, I'm not fucking buying it. You know what I mean? <laughs> like
0: You got you got to know your role. Yeah. You got to know your place. But, you know, I, I, as uh, as happy as I am with my face currently, I still do have braces. So it brings me in line. Oh, you're uh, in the a transition right now.
1: Yeah. You, you have time between now and getting the braces off to get uncomfortably jacked
0: hundred percent at once when i get these braces off man it's fucking over for you <laughs> see get a couple of plants in the crowd you know <laughs> older women <laughs> i'll start deleting old photos of myself you know when celebrities do that they no, go oh, i the look glow. shit in
1: that you gotta do the glow up you gotta yeah. do like the before and after and then just have you doing like the jesus pose on stage like yeah. from behind with a massive crowd and like that Mama, is good. we made it sort of thing. Yeah, that's what we're going <laughs> to do. I think that's the avenue, man.
0: I think people have started treating me strangers a little bit different at the shops. Because before I looked like a bit of a meth head, you know, with the with the bad teeth and and everything. Uh, but now it's like people are, people are like, it's not huge, but it's definitely a little bit nicer. And I'm like, oh, that's why often, you know, like uh, beautiful girls you'll be with. Will, a, a store will close and they'll be like, oh, why don't we just go in and ask them to make it for us anyway? You're like, that doesn't work, bitch. That's never worked. And then they go in and it fucking works. And it's like, oh, you live in a different world than me. You know, you can flash a beautiful smile at a barista who just finished cleaning the coffee machine and he'll go, fuck it, I'll make it for the girl. If I walked in, they'd be like, I'm closed, cunt, get out. <laughs> exactly.
1: Can you imagine the diminishing currency of being a hot girler? Because- Like we as a society, they always, it's just like, Mm. as soon as you hit an age, it's like, oh, yeah, now you're a MILF or whatever. It's like, and girls would just go through a period of time where the the C's part for them in every single way. And then it would, you'd hit an age where you'd be like, People don't seem to be as nice to me anymore. Yeah, I because think there's, that, there's a new that's model real. that's come out. Yeah, for for sure. Yeah, and I you'd think be that's like, real. I've been kind of living in this reality for so long. Yeah, and it's I haven't had to question
0: it whatsoever. It 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 makes me grateful to be a comedian because like a similar thing is like being an athlete. It's like you, it doesn't matter how good you are, you could be the greatest of all time, and then once you hit like thirty five, it's the end times, and uh, I don't know what I would do if I just. If I became the greatest ever and then I turned 37, my knee hurts. <laughs> you know, I'm fucked. Like, what's cool about stand up is you can do it as long as your brain works and your mouth works, you can do it sitting down in a chair until you die. Jerry Lewis died during his residency in Vegas. That's fucking awesome. <laughs> that is the dream. Yeah, it's funny because I always think about footy players here because they don't
1: earn like they earn reasonable money. Mm. Like you know, that's another thing. Yeah, but the athletic level that they have to get to to play professional AFL, it's like, hey, go and do any other fucking sport Mm. in any other country, like because you're so athletically you've built yourself to this to this level. Yeah, like we've got Sam Kerr from here, Mm -hmm. uh, football soccer player. Yeah, and her she grew up and her love was footy. Yeah. But there was no women's AFL. Yeah. So she was like, "Well, I'll play soccer then." Mm. And then she becomes the, the best, best ever. Ever. And, yeah. is, and will be absolutely swimming in money. Yes. But if there was a women's AFL, she would have played that, and then she would have hit thirty-five, and, and then had that's to it. Go to yeah. Wallies, and, you
0: know? and <laughs> she's she's broke and just has a lot of great memories of fucking her teammates, and that's it. <laughs> exactly. You know. But yeah, I, I think mean, it's that's cool. The I best do. Thing. It would be
1: sick to be. Yeah. It must be nice. Like if you were a gay, if you were a gay dude, and you had a gay like a lot of your teammates. Not in the were AFL. Gay, there's no like, gay
0: dudes in the AFL. Remember. Everywhere. Has there been one yet? I, I feel think like there was one that came out. That's recent, though, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Yeah. There's there's one bloke, and there's never been one before, and there never will be one again. <laughs> you want the I hardest? Like that. That's a good secret. There's oh, our first gay AFL players. Like, all right, guys, yeah. we believe
2: you. Yeah, it's the first.
1: You want the? I, I want. I want them to flip this this script on it. You know, like be the. The toughest, I don't fucking know nothing about AFL, so I wish I knew
0: a, I'm a waiting player. for the first straight the, AFLW player. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think
2: that'll be revolutionary. Dude, I'm imagine sure. if that dichotomy was flipped on its head though, and yeah. it was the men's sports were predominantly gay men. The teams would rule. The, <laughs> they the, the wouldn't the teams, play, they'd all be fucked. No, nah, no, 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 they <laughs> fuck before the game ah. so that they really
1: have each other's back in the
0: fucking
1: uh, <laughs> on the on the field, they did it. The
2: uh,
0: uh, I mean, that was the Troy. original Olympics, wasn't it? Back yeah. in the Roman times. True. Had, all that, that was the soldiers, yeah, the, athletes, soldiers. the gladiators, it, it javelin, couple of suck off. Yeah, what was Troy.
1: Um, what were the people battle? Yeah, Spartans. The Spartans yeah. used to all fuck each other. Yeah. Before they go to battle, mm-hmm. so they'd be like, "Don't kill the guy I fuck."
0: Now it's the opposite. All the boxers before they go into the fight, they don't fuck for as long as they can. Yeah. Semen retention apparently makes you punch harder. That's a thing.
1: Yeah, I also want to see someone lift the heavyweight belt with a boner (laughs) axe.
2: Yeah, Yeah, as soon as you touch that belt, it's like, oh, my (laughs) wife is in trouble. (laughs) Maybe you get that post-nut clarity though when you're about to fight, you jerk off first. You're like, is violence really the answer? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Nah, he's a nice guy. Yeah.
0: Can't we just all love? (laughs) I could do that. Is
2: your
1: girlfriend nervous?
0: Uh, no, no. she's you're like,
1: man, she got the glow up, but has she had to lift her. Gap? Have you noticed they're going to like more polite? Yeah, stuff? yeah. So
0: now, now I'm, I, I'm planning an upgrade as well. You know, she, <laughs> she stayed with me. She invested. She sat through me with my ugly days, but unfortunately I'm not her. <laughs> no, I love, I love her. We've been together since 2012. So a really, really long time. And, uh, it's, it's really like her, uh, she's the reason why I even got the surgeries at all. Cause I feel like sleep apnea, it's such a common thing for men And it's something that, like, I had no idea that I had it. It's only something that you really know that you have when you start sleeping next to someone every night and they go, dude, you are suffocating. Mm. This is horrible. Um, I've like, always just called them liars. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You were snoring. I waited until I hooked
1: up with a, with a deep sleeper. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah. But it is, it is a, it's a really common uh, a common issue. I've had so many people, like just from doing podcasts and talking about it in videos and stuff, going, Oh my God, I have this. I because I, you know, for me, I thought I was low on iron, I thought maybe my diet was bad, maybe I'm working too much, maybe I'm sleeping not enough, maybe I'm sleeping too much, I just felt fucking horrible all the time, and uh, it didn't take, it took years... Of uh, my girl going, hey, you snore a lot, and then it wasn't until we moved in together, and she was like, "Oh, you snore all night every night," and then it was like, "Okay, let's go to a, a specialist and have a look." Mm. It's something that it kills men all the time. Like it uh, gives you heart attacks because your your body is in in such a stressed uh, period for so long that it stresses your heart and it's something that uh, you know, you see dudes like 30 to 50 dropping of heart attacks. A lot of the time it's sleep apnea um that that gets them because their their heart is so overworked while they're asleep that they go for a run when they're awake and it's it's the straw that breaks the camel's back and they they die. Mm. Uh so it's a it's a it's only I think people are only just starting to understand how how bad it can be. Did you have the uh the machine? Yeah, I had the CPAP machine as well. That's I used hot, that. Right. hot, uh, right? It was very sexy. Yeah, <laughs> I've never been laid more in my life was from when I started looking like Darth Vader <laughs> every night. Dude, yeah, it was but the then worst. as soon as
1: fucking Bane came out, suddenly yeah. it's like,
0: again, if you could just get jacked. Man, Sleep it's, apnea mask. It just feels like getting deep-throated every night <laughs> because it you put the mask on and then it just goes vroom, vroom, and it shoots <laughs> air down your throat. It forces you to breathe. It's awful. It made me feel heaps better. Like I u- did use it every night, but fuck, I, I understand why people are like, I just could never, ever do that. It's not fun, but you know. It's necessary. Props
1: to your girlfriend for sticking through, because
0: it's like I must have the best personality of all time. You know, no one can ever call me a shit bloke. It's like not only did I look like that, I also had the CPAP mask every night, and they couldn't even stay awake to watch a movie with it. Yeah, you would have
1: had to work to keep her like happy at least. You just like she don't, really don't want to have an argument. You don't
0: want She's also well, she's got terrible standards. You know, maybe she has like really bad self-esteem, and she-, and she could do a lot better. That's the flip side of it, but not anymore because I'm very. Yeah, you're good now. It's
1: the glow up. Yeah, it would be so funny having an argument with your girlfriend. She's just like, you know, this comedy thing. Like, it's it's great, but my friends are buying fucking houses. You know, they're doing this and that, and you're like, babe, it's gonna be all right.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I'm buying skulls.
2: So you excited for Fringe! What's it? What's it like over here? Have you done it before? I've never done it before. Oh, I've fresh. performed
0: in uh, in Perth uh, many times, uh, but I've never done the Fringe. I'm loving it so far. It's mm. really good. I've only performed twice, done two shows. Uh, the first show was the first show where it, it was one of those ones where it's like uh, the audience was like, "That was great," but I was in my head trying not to get lost. I'm like, "Okay." And the next joke is, yeah. you know. But the second show, once you get the rust off, it was fucking awesome. Really, really good. So I'm excited for the next few like you get to do when you do long runs it's always like the weekends are crazy and then the weekdays are a little bit more quiet but they can be fun as well like those more intimate uh, quieter shows where there's less people but you can see everyone I enjoy those a lot Um, so uh, yeah I'm just loving it man like I haven't performed since uh, March last year so I'm just feel
2: very grateful to be able to do it at all, you know. Oh, wow. So, this is your first set of shows since March last year. Yeah. That's yeah. crazy, cool Are you in the yeah. run
1: now or are you you're about to kick off the run?
0: I've uh, I just finished show two. so, so And then awesome. I've got five or six left. Because, um, yeah, I, I did... Uh, if I'm being honest, the last shows I did were just f- to pay for the surgery. I sure. was not well enough to do them. It mm. made me a lot worse and the protest didn't help. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, very stressful. Oh, but... man,
1: they would have thought they got you, eh? Oh, well, they here's They were like, the he thing.
0: stopped. Here's the thing. They really did think they got me because uh, they protested. And it was like, like uh, Perth Fringe where one venue is doing like three or four shows a night. Uh, So the protesters showed up at five and they fucking ruined the two shows on before me. I felt so, so awful for those comedians. I'm I'm apologizing profusely. They're performing. I'm in the room going, oh, I hope it's not too bad. They're telling jokes, but all you can hear is Lewis Spears, apologize. (laughs) It was the worst. I felt so awful. Um, But anyway, I'm thinking, oh, this is going to ruin my show. Just before I go on stage, like I get announced on, welcome to stage, Lewis Spears. Everyone downstairs, the protesters, they start cheering. Yeah. And then they go silent. Man, the silence was so much scarier than the death threats because they've been yelling for hours, and then they go silent. I'm like, oh my god, they're in yeah. the venue. I'm like, oh, they're storming. <laughs> this they're shit. storming the venue. I do my show. I'm like performing, but at the same time, like waiting for that door to open, <laughs> and so I can get rushed. Uh, and uh, nothing happened. Mm. And then, I, and then my my guy tells me afterwards. I'm like. What happened? They cheered and then they went, silent. what the fuck happened? And he goes, so during the protest, they were calling the venue every like 10 seconds, ringing the phone going, cancel Louis Spears, get him off. And there was a band playing downstairs, playing music. And every time the phone would ring, it would fuck up their tempo and disrupt the show and it was pissing them off. So... The bar, the but the bass player didn't even work there. Ends up after about a couple of hours, just walks over the phone, answers it, sk- jumps over the bar, and goes, "Yeah, you guys win." He's cancelled, <laughs> <laughs> hangs up. They all cheered and went home. Didn't That's disrupt even a brilliant. second of my show. It was so good. I was getting messages, hundreds of messages, like "We fucking ruined your show." Sucked in. That's what you get for making fun of the Dalai Lama. This is karma. And then I post a video of me performing. I've never
2: received so many death threats in my life. <laughs> and I got a lot the day before. It was a good one. I would have thought they'd be quite a peaceful um, group of people, but apparently not. It would have been that they're fucking loud. I'll give yeah, right. yeah, they are. They're Getting Harry death Krishna. threats from, it, from, it, from, from No, they're,
0: they're not Tibetan. I didn't even know they were Buddhists. Isn't Hare Krishna a different thing? I don't know. All
2: I know about Hare Krishna is that they're in Grand Theft Auto 1. And when you run down heaps of them, you get like a cool thing come up on the screen called anger. My, <laughs> my old
1: studio was on Barrack Street and they would come through. I love their chanting. Chance, and I was just like, Jesus Christ, make it end.
2: <laughs> Do you suffer at all? It seems Sometimes. like you. <laughs>
0: I've done a lot Tell of us. suffering the last Tell two years. Tell us about it. I'm feeling a lot better now.
2: <laughs> we, um, It seems like you've. You've obviously got your your act polished to a point now where you yeah. probably do it fucking blindfolded. Mm-hmm. And um, do you, do you still suffer from any sort of anxiety in terms of when you go up on stage? Is it something that you have to deal with, or are you just like at a point now where I'm a pro? I don't care. I'll
0: I'll get like nervous or anxious doing when I'm about to do something that I've never done before. So like, I'll usually get, so like last like uh, Friday night, I was like, oh man, I haven't performed this show for a really long time. Uh, and, you know, I haven't, you know, I've been sick for so long. I haven't done my job properly for ages. Are tickets even going to sell? Are people going to come out? Do I even still have all that shit? But then I do the first one and I'm good. And uh, other than that, I just get excited. I just, I really, really love performing. I don't get nervous unless I'm about to do something I've never done before. So, like an audience that's bigger than what I've ever done before. Like the last time I got a little bit like, oh, fuck, was when I did 450 in Brisbane. Mm. And that was like the biggest I'd done by about 200 people. That was like, oh, my God, what's this going to be like? But then I got out there and it was awesome. And now, you know, I've done 400s since and I'm just excited for it. So, uh i opened for andrew schultz and i was a little bit like oh man this is a big opportunity how am i going to go and but but then i've since opened for another comic andrew santino and i oh, was yeah. just excited for that amazing so yeah new things get me now but uh, other than that, I'm just stoked to be able to do it at all, you know, because there was a long time where I was not well enough to do it and now I just feel lucky to wake up in the morning and, mm. and be like, oh, that was a nice sleep. Yeah, mm. I got some
2: oxygen. Yeah.
1: <laughs> it's funny because I was a um I dj for years. Yeah. I'm a music producer as well. And I so playing to full rooms, so much fucking easier than playing to oh, yeah. smaller rooms. Yeah. Cause it's just like everyone is. There's this collective energy of like, we're ready to party. Yes. And you can take them places Mm. and you know they're not leaving. You can, so you kind of like, you can have it, you you can, you can kind of be playing the the bangers essentially and you know that's going to be fine. But then you take them in between them and you see, you kind of try and wane their interest a little. Yeah. Or just do something a little bit more introspective and then you know that you can.
0: Yeah you you're, yeah, play, I mean, you're playing with lunch. with emotions and yeah, stuff. Yeah, I've I spoke to yeah. a couple of
1: comedians and there is a real there is definitely a commonality between that. Yeah, for sure. Because you're controlling the energy of the room. Yes. So and you can you know like you don't you don't have control over what it is but you have control over where it's going to go. It's so. all
0: t- it's all t- I think pretty much every live performance in every genre almost is just it's just tension and release absolutely horror and comedy are the probably the most similar where you know with a joke it's like you're setting up and people like oh i don't know where this is gonna go or this is really dark and this is naughty and then you go punchline and people go what the fuck that's crazy horror is the same thing you show the audience that the killer is there but the character doesn't know they're there and you're like fuck he's there what's gonna happen and then he pops out and you get jump scared and that's the release yeah uh and that's the same with music you know you 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 build up to the drop and it's like oh my god the drop is gonna happen (laughs) and you know it's gonna happen but it's like oh fuck it's like a roller coaster oh we're going up and then we get to go down yeah it's all tension and release. It's uh, it, yeah, it, it's very similar. All art forms, like every everything we do, is tension and release. That's just that's fucking
1: f- exactly. You know? Exactly, and that's what we're all just trying to do.
2: Yeah, that's <laughs> most we of can't, my act.
1: When we can't be doing that, then we're uh, you know
0: performing music live <laughs> yeah boo just so we can get someone to look at us <laughs> there
1: is a beauty of like being in a position where everything can fucking fall apart at any moment though yes. like that's yeah. there's nothing like that i yeah. didn't realize how much i missed that yeah um just djing because I, I did it weekly mm. probably two three times a week for so many years yeah and it's like ah, oh, it's something that i do it feels like a bit of a cheap thing to do as well because you're especially if you're playing other people's music and stuff and you're just performing in clubs, it's like, I can do this with my fucking eyes closed. Mm. I know what you idiots are going to dance to. Yeah. But when you're doing stuff that is, um, especially if you're performing music live with instrumentation, mm. it's like one thing, the, the tension is almost on stage as well because yeah. it can fall apart. Like someone hits a wrong note or someone presses the wrong fucking button. Yeah, not, for sure. Whatever it or is. someone
0: can't, falls out of tempo. Yeah, Live, live music is... Is performing live music, I think, is so much more difficult than than stand-up. Like I've done a, a little bit of live music, I've done some live rap before, and it's so difficult. Just breathing is like its own science by itself. Because like when I do stand-up, if I need to breathe, I just stop and breathe and can sit in silence and that's that almost builds more tension. Mm. That's almost a good thing. All right, if I need a drink of water, I can stop and drink some water. If I need a cough, I can do that. When you Doing music, if you stop, the beat keeps going, and now you're lost, and you fuck the whole song because you breathed in at the wrong place. <laughs> yeah, everyone fucking knows as well. Yes, Man, if you, yeah, they all know the words. Yeah. Like comedy, they got no idea where I'm going. If mm-hmm. I fuck up. If I don't say anything, they have no idea. If I forget a full five-minute chunk of my show, which every comedian has done and will do forever, mm. <laughs> the audience has no idea. I'm like, ah, shouldn't forget that for the next show, but they didn't notice. Mm. If you forget half the lyrics to a song or a verse or a chorus or, the or you don't play to, yeah. <laughs> your big hit, people are like, oh, what the fuck?
1: <laughs> yeah, for real. Oh, man. it's. I think it's. there is definitely like it's the it's that performative side of it right mm. where it's like there is an energy and there is there's something within you where to try and get to a flow state in front yeah. of people you're like i know i can do it i know yes. i've done great shows yeah and you kind of assume after a while i know that i'm i know what i'm doing here and then something there'll just be something that throws you off and yeah. you're like this is now going to be the longest 40 minutes of my fucking life yeah yeah unless i can somehow swing this back in but when Mm -hmm. you're in that flow state i mean i've had it before we used to because we used to throw a lot of parties when we were younger and um remember canvas is i was djing this place was absolutely heaving molly had just come out in rap music Mm. it trend it it revolutionized rap parties in perth i can tell you that much because it went from like one week everyone just being like yeah to suddenly people completely raving out to exactly the same set And uh, this girl was just like two hands on the fucking on the booth, yeah, raving out, and then she's going to throw her hands back, and every cable that has ever fucking gone (laughs) into a mixer just went into the crowd, and the whole fucking thing stops. And obviously, the immediate thing is everyone just looks at the DJ, yeah, and he's like, "Oh, what the fuck,
0: yeah." And when at least were- everyone was on Molly, so yeah, yeah, that's true you know you can you can be like, "Oh, this sucks, but at least i'm I'm on drugs." <laughs>
1: you know, but then you hit them into that confusion moment, and like if it's the same if you fuck up, like you can just stop mm. and then there becomes this awareness that the crowd is like. You as the person that's kind of leading the crowd is the connection is fading. Yeah, but you can also be like, I am now like genuinely the center of attention. Yeah, and I can take that negatively or positively. And you can kind of just hold instead of apologizing. You can just be like, Yeah, I'm not gonna fucking play. Yeah, until you're all on my side. Yes, and there becomes this kind of like give and take with the crowd. And then when you come back in, everyone's like, Oh, holy fucking shit! Yeah, are we on? Are we?
0: Are we? Have we hit an hour? Perfect. Uh,
1: Perfect, man. This has been great. Um, yeah, spruke your shows.
0: Uh I've got uh I've got shows every night until uh Saturday night. Uh no Friday. So Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Saturday, and then I'm gone. Come see me, Lewispears.com awesome. or Google my name, Lewis Spears. It's a fucking awesome show. I'm really, really loving it. Those the first two I've done already, and it's just sick. I'm loving it. Yeah. How long are you how long the this? the sets? Uh <laughs> In my head, an hour, but I've been doing an hour and a half every night. Oh, wow. Yeah. Brilliant. You down a stick around? Yeah, I'm fine. Yeah, I've got, like... I have I have nothing on.
1: <laughs> this is good. I feel we, we've we've hit a nice point.
0: Yeah. I, I was sloppy as hell when we got
1: in here. I've been working all day and trying to get this fucking camera switcher to work. Yeah. And yeah. I was like, yeah, we've got a couple of years. <laughs> the Dexies have started to do their job. I oh, might take Yes. Hey guys, thanks for checking out the episode. We've got another full hour episode on Patreon right now um, with Lewis. So head over there. It's only eight bucks a month and it really helps support the channel. So another full hour conversation with him and that's the way it's going to be for everything going forward. So there will be a whole extra hour every week on Patreon if you're not aware already. It's patreon.com slash club Thank you.